0: Our scripture throughout Advent has come from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here ends the reading of God's word. We've been taking a look at this text and trying to think through... First of all, what Isaiah is trying to say, but also how Jesus fulfills this text. This is an interesting text that is not actually quoted in the New Testament. But the early church looked at this and said, you know what, this is talking about Jesus. And so we have, week by week, been looking at these messianic titles that Isaiah gives. And today we are talking about the everlasting Father. First, we need to know that when we hear the term Father... We bring a lot of baggage to the word. Our own modern sensibilities and political correctness. Um, our own experiences with our fathers. All tint how we talk about father in the Bible. But we need to understand that uh, whatever our experience with father. Father was a really, really important thing in those days. Okay? This is a patriarchal society. It's male-dominated uh but not just any male dominated your household was dominated by a particular guy was the father or the grandfather the patriarch of the house and that was the person that was supposed to watch out for the entire family take care of everybody bring everybody in make the decisions about where the family was going And uh, if you were the patriarch's brother, then you weren't the patriarch. And if you were the patriarch's kids, you weren't the patriarch. It all was based on what this one man would have to say. And then there would be someone waiting to kind of take that position over. Uh, It was the father that kept people in line, that dealt with other patriarchs, that made deals and decisions about the family. We even have some of this holdover in our society, even though this is not our society anymore. Um, we still like to talk about our forefathers. Uh, sometimes we try to say four mothers, but a lot of times they they were men. That's the society that, that those came from. Um, when we talk about our family, or our nation, or our faith, we talk about our forefathers. Uh, but in Jesus' day, there was, that wasn't just any father; it was one father was the Godfather. It was the one that held everybody else together. In that kind of society, the father became a metaphor for leadership. So when you had to talk about a king, you would talk about them being a lot like a father, the father who would rule and take care of the family. They would talk about Abraham as father. They would talk about David as the king being the father. And yes, even God as father. Psalm 68, 5 and 6 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. Part of the psalmist's understanding of God is that he is a father to the fatherless. He's somebody who becomes a father to those who are in need of a father, kind of bringing them into the household. It's a beautiful image. Now, sometimes in the Bible, God is actually motherly. For instance, Isaiah 49 says, Can a woman forget her nursing child, that she would have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. So, so the image isn't just gender-related, actually, but, but it's more based in this father-based patriarchal society where the father would take care of the home. Um... Now, sometimes this father imagery in the Bible is difficult for us. Um, There are so many people who don't have a relationship with their father or didn't have good relationships with their fathers. And so um, part of the unfortunate part of of a metaphor like this is it does influence the way that we see God. But we've got to try to get past that because the image of father isn't that of your father. It's of an ultimate father. It's of a father the way a father is supposed to be. This is an especially powerful image at Christmas, right? I am always inspired by the character Joseph. Go go back and read the Christmas story again. Don't assume you've heard it 50 million times. Read it for yourself. Um, And one of the things that you'll find is this astonishing character of Joseph. Joseph. Joseph's betrothed to a woman. A woman, in that day, you had to divorce if you were betrothed. It wasn't the same as breaking off an engagement. You got betrothed, but you were on your way to marriage, and you had to divorce to get out of that process. And he finds out that she's pregnant. And she tells him it's the Holy Spirit, but he doesn't buy that, right? He has every right to be mad at this woman for cheating on him. In fact, he has every right to have her stoned for cheating on him. But instead, what does he try to do? He tries to divorce her quietly, which is, a, in that society, okay, if he would try to divorce her quietly, what he's partially admitting in public is that it's his child. Like, if it's not your child, you're supposed to get her stoned. So if he's divorcing her quietly, he's trying to make it go away, but he's also kind of admitting that it's his. This would have brought him down in the, in the, in the community, would have brought down his standing. But he's honorable and he's caring enough to be willing to do that. And then God comes to him in a dream, tells him, no, 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 this is from me. And Joseph, despite what this is going to do to his reputation, takes takes this uh, woman and this child on and follows God's will. Um, Takes them to Bethlehem, then is warned in a dream to take them to Egypt. Then is warned in a dream that he can, told in a dream he can go back. This is a man who is honorable in taking care of his family, and in obeying God's commands. This is what a father should be. This is the kind of father that Isaiah is looking for for Israel in such dark times. But not just an earthly father. Isaiah doesn't just want a father who's going to come in like a king, be there for a generation, and and then that's it. He's looking for an everlasting father. Isaiah wants somebody who's going to come in and be a father to the nation. But that peace and that prosperity and that righteousness is going to continue. It's not just going to last a season. Not just a generation. But a father that's going to come in and do something permanent. An everlasting father. Do you understand what kind of hope that would be for Israel? Israel at this time is being pushed around by other nations. And it's just actually beginning in their history. But imagine the anxiety of living in that society where you have all kinds of forces rising up against you uh, in the nations around you but what about not knowing how your crops would grow how winter will be how your sheep will do next year or what other nations will come to power I mean this is a a dark time for Israel the idea of somebody who's going to come along and be a loving caring father that doesn't go away but stays there And becomes an everlasting father. That is of great appeal to Israel. And I think should be of appeal to us. Now here's the tricky part. We've been trying to say that Jesus is the one who fulfills these. But when we say that Jesus is everlasting father. Of all of these four phrases that Isaiah uses. This is the toughest one for us to grasp. Because first of all we don't typically think of Jesus as father. What do we think of Jesus as? Son. That's right. We use the language of the Trinity, which says uh, we have Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we don't think about Jesus as Father. Um, In fact, the biblical language is like that, right? Jesus talks to the Father, and he's about doing the Father's will. From the cross, he speaks twice to his Father. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. But even though we use that language to try to talk about Jesus being part of the Father, um, we we have to know that the the language is even more complicated than that. For instance, Jesus in John 14 says, Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is me? The words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Jesus is saying, I'm more than just the son of this father. The father's in me, and I'm in the father, and my words are the father's words. That is more than just a father-son relationship. My kids don't always say my words, right? I don't say that I'm in my children and my children are in me. That's that's not the kind of relationship that I have. Part of our hang-up, is that we use this word begotten about Jesus. You know that word, begotten? Okay, um, in John 1.14 says this, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Or how many of us learn John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only, some say begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Well, that, that word begotten, really, the, the word is, uh, in, in Greek, monogenes. Monogenes. Mono one. Genes, from we, where we get genesis. Okay? From where we get life. Kind of one life. The word really means one and only. Unique. It can pertain to the only one of its kind. Or it can also relate and be one of its only kind or class of its own category. So it doesn't just mean son. It doesn't mean just have a begotten son. In fact, uh, the Bible, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Only their begotten son, of whom it was said though through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So the Bible says Abraham's got one begotten son, Isaac. But that's not true if you only understand begotten to be born, because Abraham has another son named Ishmael. Okay, Abraham does not only have one son, he's got two sons, but he's only got one begotten son. He's only got one unique, special representation of himself. Um. He is the extension of the promises of Abraham. Okay, it's it's the special son. In a patriarchal society, sons are extensions or expressions of their father, right? My legacy lives on in my eldest son, who is the godfather. He is the patriarch that moves on. Um, That's not even a theological claim for Abraham. That's just a cultural one. He's got one special son who gets to be the patriarch for the next generation. It's Isaac. Ishmael's is not a begotten son, but he is a son. This is important for Jesus because what we say is that Jesus was begotten, not created. We say that Jesus is the begotten one. He's not just the son of the father, but we're saying he is the special representation, the unique one of a kind example of who the father is. He's so much more than God's Son. He's an expression of God the Father Himself. And He brings children into right relationship with the family. He continues the work of the Father. And what about Jesus as everlasting? The Bible has a clear belief that Jesus does not begin at His birth. We say that He is begotten, but He's not created. Jesus doesn't just show up and start his life on Christmas Day. Okay? Jesus has always existed. Here's how John expresses this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. The Word here is Jesus, and he's there in the beginning. And he's not just with God, he is God. And he's not just there for creation, he's part of creation. Listen to Paul's language in Colossians. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. Paul says, you know, you can't see God. He's invisible. But you can see an image of God. And that's Jesus. Paul says, when you look at Jesus, you see God the Father. You see the whole thing. He's the firstborn of creation. He is part of creation. All things are made through him. There's nothing made that wasn't made through him. He is in all things and holds all things together. What holds the clouds in the sky? What holds the snow on the ground? Jesus does. That's Paul's understanding that he is a part of the creation around us. He's the glue. And we remember that in Revelation, Jesus returns to make all things new and rules forever as king. Jesus becomes flesh at Christmas. But he was something other than flesh before that. He is a forever one. And he is Father. He is an extension of the Father. And we may be adults, but don't we sometimes need a good Father? Strong guidance, wisdom, a warm hug in sadness, a stern word in arrogance. A person cheering in the stands. A person giving us those things when we need them most. But Jesus is not just Father for us. He's eternal Father. Fathers don't live forever. And fathers aren't perfect. We make mistakes. And life tends to come at us, doesn't it? We have this saying, we say, nothing lasts forever, right? Because we've all had good times that ended and good things that didn't stick around. I look at our church and I see many people whose cancer came back, who lost another family member, who found more sickness, who face another surgery, who are alone again or depressed again or lost a job again. Don't we? Because we know that nothing lasts forever. Sometimes we we hold back our love. We hold back our joy. We don't let ourselves fully experience things because we know at some point they're going to end. But here is a fatherly love that's eternal. Here's a love for us that doesn't go away. That does last forever. A father that doesn't give up on you. A father that doesn't pass away. The world tried that. It didn't work. There's a father that will never forget you. Christ has been become our everlasting father. Acting out the will of God the father. Taking us into the family. For some of us it's the father we never had. For some of us it's the first family we ever had. For others you had a father and a family. And uh, it only was a taste. Of what this Father will be. May our Heavenly Father. Who is one with the Son. And present with you in the Holy Spirit. Rule in your hearts. This Christmas season. May you really experience Jesus. As eternal Father. Let's pray. Jesus. Eternal Father. Thank you. For your love for us. Lord, that you are with us, that you guide us, that you care for us. Sometimes we don't like your discipline. Sometimes we don't like that we have to hear a hard word. Sometimes we don't like that the world takes things away from us. But still you relentlessly love us. May we feel that everlasting fatherhood in this Christmas season. Amen.